0: Hello and welcome back to Everyday Oral Surgery. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. I'm an oral and max facial surgeon practicing in Denver, Colorado, and I really appreciate you tuning into the episode today. Thanks to all those who have emailed and texted me ideas about topics for the podcast or guests they wanna hear from. If you would like to be a guest on the show or know someone you'd like to hear from, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com. Also, please visit our website, everydayoralsurgery.com, if you'd like to search the podcast in an easier way by topic. We'd like to hear from everyone and really appreciate you guys listening. Keep in mind that everything we're discussing here is based on personal experience and opinions, so please supplement everything you're learning here with approved research studies. Without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today I am with Doctors Pulak Bot and Doctors Matthew Fom. Pulak is an Orlamax official surgery residency at UNC Chapel Hill. And Matthew is working in South Carolina with Brian Farrell and his group. Thank you guys so much for joining us today on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoy your podcast, so this is exciting.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me as well.
0: Yes, for sure. Maybe we could start with you, Matthew, and just kind of get your history of your training and your current practice set up.
1: Sure. I did undergrad at Pitt, and I didn't know when I went there, but they had a three plus four year program. So I kind of switched into that during undergrad once I knew when to do oral surgery. And then I stayed there for dental school, and then I moved to UNC to do my med school and residency. And now I'm in Columbia, South Carolina, where I mostly do dental or implant type stuff, but I have one to two hour days a week where I do kind of the traditional full scope, ranging from trauma, TMJ, ortho, you know, I don't do cancer, but I do do fibula implants. I do some um, injectables like Botox and part of a cleft team. But I don't do any of the fellowship type stuff.
0: Nice. Well, excellent. And you enjoy working with Brian and some of the other people in that group?
1: Yeah, the group is pretty special. It's great. Just kind of the scope that they do and the type of camaraderie that we have as far as not just surgically, but kind of just hanging out in general. So I'm really lucky to be a part of that group. When it comes to mentorship, I can't stress enough how important it is, especially if you want to do full scope. I'm lucky in that Brian has driven down to Columbia to do cases with me, but I've also had some of the other partners like Jim Howell, Peter Franco, and Rick Capitan take me under their wing, not only in the OR, but also to how to manage staff and referrals. And Dan Cook and John have also expanded my scope by teaching me TMJ arthroscopy in addition to doing the total joint cases with me. Awesome.
0: Are you still seeing Myron Tucker around or does that
1: work? Yeah, so he has an affiliation with UNC. So I saw him sometimes at the program during residency, but I run into him at meetings and I did the osteoscience program during residency, which he's kind of a big part of. And then he comes back to the group as well. So, you know, kind of run into him just sporadically throughout the year. And he's great to be around as well. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. And Pulak, can you give us
0: just a little bit of your uh, history here?
2: Yeah, sure. So originally from Canada, I'm born and raised there, did most of my lower level education in Canada. I went to dental school at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and then started residency in 2017 at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where I joined Matt, who was two years ahead of me at that time. So yeah, I'm currently a chief resident there. and enjoying all the exposure to all the surgeries at this point in time.
0: That is was Awesome. We've had some awesome guests from the UNC program already. We've had Ben Heckler and Elda Fisher, Brian as well. His podcast uh, I recorded this past week and will go up soon. So by the time this is up, his will already be up, but tons of amazing people from that program. I've been blessed to get to know you guys and
1: I'm excited to talk to you today. What's well, funny, Brian actually is from LSU, but he tells me that he's like honorary UNC grad because... He's close with Brian Bell, who's a UNC alumni. So he drags Brian along to a lot of the UNC events, but he's actually an LSU grad, which is funny. Okay. Okay. So Brian Bell, then he'll take his places. Yeah, yeah. We've
0: talked to him as well on the podcast. All right. Well, I think it'd be probably great to start with your story if you could lock it in regards to kind of what happened to you during your residency and how you got started with your Instagram educational stuff, Omax Face.
2: Yeah, I think it's a pretty interesting story and how it kind of relates to the advent of social media education. I mean, it's kind of blown up at this point in time, but back in January of 2020, I was driving back home, got a little sleepy from the hospital and fell asleep at the wheel. Totally my fault with regards to that. But I hopped up on a curb, crashed into a construction sign. Long story short, ended up breaking both my legs. I was a red trauma alert, went to UNC. They put rods in both my legs. I was an inpatient for about six weeks. And then I was discharged in the, towards the end of February of 2020. And it got to a point I was doing outpatient PTOT, but it was also around the time when COVID was kind of lurking in the background. It hadn't fully hit the US, but I was getting tired of just sitting at home playing video games while I was rehabbing or watching movies while I was rehabbing. And that's when I started to kind of explore different areas of social media, Instagram being the one that I really didn't have much exposure to because I really wasn't that interested in it, to be honest. And so I kind of hopped up on Instagram for the first time around then. And what I was noticing from like an oral and maxillofacial surgery standpoint, there was a ton of posts about different surgeries from either a photograph or video perspective, which essentially is the whole basis of Instagram. It's a visual platform. But what I noticed was that there was a kind of a disconnect from a didactic standpoint. So you have all these residents, whether they're interns, mid-level residents or chief residents, and They're seeing all these cool and interesting cases, but there's no didactic component to kind of bridge that knowledge gap as to, okay, you have this big procedure that's happening, but what are the indications for it? Why would you do it? Why would you not do it? And there were a couple of education pages at that time that were more like Q&A education pages, just in kind of posts, but nothing that was very interactive, nothing that I felt that had much of a personality in terms of the page itself. So I started this page not really knowing what was going to come of it, started making some posts with random, very small concepts. People were starting to take notice and liking it. And then eventually I started to incorporate kind of a and a portion in the stories and then follow it up with a infographic of sorts um, at the end. And it just kind of became a word of mouth thing within residents, within currently practicing oral and maxillofacial surgeons that were prominent on social media at the time and it just kind of spread and now it's got somewhat of a of a cult following and I've tried to kind of build up a personality for the page as well which is somewhat of an extension of my own personality but it kind of serves two purposes one i think education pages can get a little bit boring if they don't have a personality associated with it so i've just kind of tried to keep this nice balance with it. And it's been nice to kind of merge my page with a lot of the other pages like Matt's page, where it's more clinical based photos. And then you can kind of bridge that gap between this is the surgery, this is the procedure, and then this is the theory behind it.
0: That is awesome. Yeah, I really enjoy a lot of your posts, how you kind of break it down with indications, you know, some of the presentation of it, radiology, histology. I'm, I'm cruising through some of it to remind me, but I just love how simple it is and straightforward, and how you break it down. The pictures is super helpful.
2: Yeah, and it's what its function, like when I started the page initially, it was really more from a selfish perspective, a way for me to stay in touch with MFS because I was. Rehabbing at the time, I had very little connection to MFS. I had really just come off of med school. So I was already felt detached from that world. So even to this day, making the posts, doing the research for the posts, putting out the questions and whatnot, it's also functioning as a way for me to study myself. Because if I'm putting it out into the world, I got to be that much more diligent about what the information is and make sure that it's accurate as opposed to if I was just flipping through pages at home.
0: Yes. I definitely, speaking to someone who relates to that, certainly the podcast is similar to that and that it benefits me to do it and to learn, but also helps a lot of other people. So that's awesome. And you are nearing end of residency, or at least you're in your final year. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. Yeah. I'm currently in my chief year at UNC. So I finish in June of
0: 2023. Okay. And you've already kind of have a job nailed down.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then Matt was a real big help for me, especially with regards to kind of sorting out what it was I was actually looking for in a job. I know the classic thing is you got location, you got salary, you got scope, and you're going to have to somewhat choose to, and you're going to have to take some type of sacrifice on one of those things. And I knew that going into the job search, I was looking for something full scope. I didn't do an exhaustive search or big interview trail that I know I know some other people have, and maybe that was to my detriment. But there's a job that kind of fell into my lap, somewhat secondary to the fact that I have this Instagram page. And it's in a more rural part of Pennsylvania, but it's going to allow me to maintain a full scope presence in a hospital, take trauma call, and I'll be doing it with someone that I know and respect a lot. So it'll be, it's going to have its challenges at the start, because we're both going to be pretty fresh, but it'll be fruitful down the road, I think.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Uh, cool to hear kind of your story and how the uh, you know Instagram may have also helped you to kind of get to that point. Matthew, what are your kind of tips, I guess, of young residents who are trying to figure out what to do? You know, how
1: did you find your
0: job and what do you recommend?
1: Well, I just also want to kind of go back to Puluk's story. He glossed over it saying, you know, I was an inpatient for six weeks as if it was nothing. But it's kind of crazy because that night we were all together just kind of hanging out. And I mean, Puluk didn't drink at all or anything like that. So that was never in the question. But I remember he said, hey, I'm just going to grab a taco from this food truck and I'm going to drive home. So I had left with who I had come with. And that morning, I got a call from one of the other residents saying, Hey, you know, Bullock's in the trauma bay, he's might have to go to the OR for some orthopedic surgery. And it was obviously shocking for me. But we rounded on him as a group that first week, just kind of check in on him. I mean, I rounded him individually for almost like the entire time he was inpatient, just kind of check in. And we decided to try and stay away from oral surgery talk, just because it was kind of hard for him to hear what we were doing when as a third year coming back on service, he would be operating. So I deliberately didn't bring up anything about on service, but you know, we he actually sent me a video at the one year mark. We did occupational therapy together with all sorts of games as he would kind of pick it up on stuff, but that was just a, a tough time for him and to be able to kind of stick through with everything. You know, we talk about occupational therapy a lot in the hospital or weaning off of opioids and stuff like that, but it was just a really rough time for him. So, for him to be able to kind of come out of it with something so positive as an Instagram page was pretty. Amazing. It was funny because I did a lot of the educational stuff on service as far as sending out articles or questions. And when this OMAX face came out, he was anonymous. And one of the UNC grads had, I guess, heard that the person who did the page was a UNC resident and assumed it was me. So then once I found I was a UNC resident, I was like, well, who could this possibly be? And finally, I, I texted him like, is this you? And then he said, yeah. So that's how I kind of figured it out. And then we started kind of doing Instagram posts together since I was doing some clinical cases. And then from there, now that I'm in private practice, I still post a lot of, you know, the cooler, either TMJ, ortho, stuff like that, either on stories or on posts. And there's a lot of, I think most of my, I have maybe a quarter of the amount of followers Pulik does, but most of my followers are residents. And I get a lot of messages about, well, how do you do this in private practice? Or, you know, I heard that it's difficult to do ortho and all that kind of stuff. So I probably have a phone call or two once a week with residents who are either starting their job search or kind of just trying to figure out what they want to do. And I think it's really hard just because as a dental student, you know, in your third and fourth year, you do your externships and then you make your rank after your interviews. And it's pretty set as far as you know what to do when, but when it comes to finding a job, there's really no direction. You know, you can go from academics, you can go to private practice and private practice, you can do Teeth and titanium. There's some people who do just cosmetics. So I think it's just difficult because the first thing people need to do is figure out what it is they really want to do. And then from there, kind of break it down. And, you know, it's not that I came up with it, but Puluk brought it up. I tell people you got to consider your location, your scope, your pay. And then I bring up a fourth thing, which is mentorship, because no one ever talks about that. But I think that's a huge component of why I picked my job. And things That people should look out for, but I can go into each of those things a little bit more in depth too.
0: Yeah, that would be great. But yeah, I like that you brought that up, and it's just so incredible that experience that Pulak had, but that you could bring something you know pretty cool and awesome and creative out of it. It's remarkable.
2: Yeah, I know. I don't talk about it much, at least like publicly, because I don't want it to become like a I'm so happy for you type of thing, but. That's right. Like I remember they would round as a team and then Matt would come see me like pretty much all the time. I I clearly remember that. And that was a huge help, especially seeing familiar faces, especially when you're on a daily basis, seeing ortho residents that you've seen in the hallways, but now you're seeing them as your provider. It was very, it was weird, but kind of hopping on a little bit of a different topic that I just want to touch on is with the opioids. So we get used to, and in our heads, we have this thought like, okay, Opioid dependence is a thing, but until you actually feel it and have gone through it, you don't really understand how dependent you can actually become to it and how easy it is to fall down that black hole. So I was at the peak when I was an inpatient, I was taking probably between 70 to 100 milligrams of oxycodone a day. And then I discharged at that point, I was probably around 65 to 70 a day. And once I got home that first day I got home, I told myself no more opioids. So I I went, I dropped down from like 70 milligrams a day of oxycodone to like 10. And I was just kind of pushing myself through the pain. But when the withdrawal symptoms kick in, it slaps you across the face. You become very irritable. Everybody that's trying to help you, you just start snapping at them. I basically had to walk myself in the room and create like a chart on Excel to basically go back up on my opioids and slowly taper it down. So, it's just kind of put in perspective that the dependence to this medication is real, and the withdrawal symptoms are hard to manage, especially if you don't have the support around you to manage it. So, when people fall into that black hole, it's easy to kind of judge, but until you felt it, it doesn't really hit home.
0: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's so good to hear firsthand. You know, we had a guest dr omar abu Bakr, talk about Mm -hmm. the the opioid issues and how we should be more responsible as providers because it is such a real thing and of course his son you know had an addiction and eventually passed away but man it's a real thing yep Jeez, thank you for sharing that yeah well jumping back on to kind of how to prepare or find you know the appropriate Kind of job for you. There's tons of residents out there. Questions. I get messaged about it. People want to know what I do or they want to know what certain guests do after the fact. But yeah, any advice you guys have about how to figure
1: that out, the the better. Sure. So I think the simplest thing out of those four things I mentioned is location. Some people, you know, they have a spot where they need to be because of family or, you know, just because of whatever. And I think if that's the case, you know, there's really no negotiation there. If you need to be in a certain city because that's where your parents live or something like that, that kind of is what it is. One thing that you can do for location specific jobs is, you know, Amos does have a career lines website and a lot of residents haven't heard about it when I talk with them. So it doesn't necessarily bring up the best jobs all the time, but it does have a lot of postings just to give you an idea of how to reach out to people. Another thing for location that I did was I picked some places that I might wanted to live in. And then for me, I typed in just trauma centers in that region. And then you can see level one, two, and three trauma centers. And then by going to those hospitals websites, you can see which oral surgeons have privileges there. And that's a good way just to kind of see which ones are either doing hospital work that you're interested in, or you can actually just go to Google and type in oral surgeon in that area. And I cold emailed a few people and I still got responses just as far as, Yeah, they were looking or I know they were looking at this time. So I don't think it's bad to reach out if you know that you specifically want to be somewhere. And then just networking at meetings. You know, I met, you mentioned Brian Farrell. I met him at a meeting at ACOMS during my second year. And just the more people you meet at the meetings and all things like that, you get to know them. They get to know where you're looking for and they kind of keep an ear out for you. So that way, if they know someone's looking for a job in whatever city you happen to be looking for, they can kind of help connect you. So I think that's a big part of it. And then the second part would be scope. So for Pulak and I, we wanted to do the traditional full scope, but, you know, whether you want to do just orthognathic or TMJ, I think you just have to be honest with the practices that you talk to, because once you get there, really, you know, things aren't going to be molded necessarily to you. I I told people that a lot of places I talked to, they said, Hey, you're more than welcome to do ortho and TMJ, but we don't currently do that. And I think that's really hard because if you join a practice where they're not doing it, there's not really the infrastructure set up from both a logistic standpoint or a financial standpoint. You know, if I came to an office and they'd never submitted a claim or approval for orthognathic surgery, me coming in as a new person trying to teach them how to do that would be difficult. Same thing with the clinical staff. If they don't know how to do records for orthognathic or they've never seen a post-op day one, you know, double jaw come into the office, it might really kind of wreck the schedule. So even though a lot of people say that you can add whatever scope you want, I think it's just so much better if you are, kind of continuing a scope that's already there. And then once you talk to the group in the practice that says that it kind of lines up with you and you go to interview and stuff like that, I think it's very reasonable to ask them, hey, can I look at your case log? Can I look at your schedule? If someone says to you, they're doing a bunch of ortho and TMJ, but they have maybe one OR day every other month, or they don't have any block days, that's kind of a sign that maybe they're not doing as much as they're leading on to. And the practices that I asked to kind of show me their case log, it was it was very obvious which ones were actually doing some orthognathic or TMJ as opposed to others who their OR log was basically kind of a list of medically compromised patients going to the OR for extractions or just some dental infections and things like that. And then for pay, you know, this is kind of the, not really what you're looking for, but this is one thing that I didn't really understand going into the job interview process is I think that every contract that they break up kind of starts with some type of guaranteed salary. And I won't go into the details kind of of our specific contracts, but I applied mostly along the East Coast and I saw as the lowest contract is something around 200,000 up to as high as 450,000, depending on if it was corporate or something like that. And then they usually transition that into a collection bonus where you might have a guaranteed salary for the first couple of years. But in addition to that, you get to collect a certain percentage. So collections is what your business actually receives. You're going to have a production, which is what you bill out. And then collection is either what the patient pays or what the insurance pays. And they set some number, usually say a collections of a million dollars in a year, they say you get some percent of that. And I've seen as low as 25% to as high as 40% of that amount over a million. So if you were to make 1.5 million in collections for the year, you would get between 25 and 40% of that $500,000, which is over. And then if you do any type of hospital work, usually the hospital has a call stipend. So that varies depending on if you're doing oral surgery call or facial trauma call, or sometimes they kind of do a bundle cost. But depending on the practices, some places they offered you 0% of that because it's just kind of built into your contract. Or some people give you 100% of that. So each day you're taking call, that's kind of money that goes right into your pocket. And then all the other things as far as other financial things that I saw in contracts were signing bonuses, which was a, a huge thing for residents because, you know, you're not making as much during that time period. But I saw everything from zero to as high as $50,000, usually, like I said, kind of more in the corporate-based type practice. And then you have a CME allowance or, and then a moving allowance as well. And then as far as time goes, usually they they break up some type of vacation time, which I saw anywhere between two to five weeks. But that's kind of the classic trio of location, scope, and pay that I kind of walk people through initially.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to look at it and kind of break it down on those three areas. You know, prioritize those three categories. And if you have a significant other, talk about that too, because... Maybe your location is like not as high priority, but for them, it is the highest priority. So got to make sure that you're on the same page before you start
1: pursuing things seriously. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's funny, I'll kind of go into the story of my interview process. Originally, we thought that location was kind of the most important thing. I'm from the Philadelphia area and I started doing interviews during my fifth year. People ask when it's too early. I don't think it's ever too early, especially if you know where you want to go. I did a ton of phone interviews and then Christmas of my 5th year I did a bunch of interviews in the Philadelphia area when I went home for the holidays and I thought that's where I wanted to be because of where my parents and family were and I remember I was driving in December down I76 which if you're familiar with the area there's tons of traffic it was freezing cold I went to this interview and you know, at this point, I knew I couldn't move back home just because it was too cold compared to the Carolinas. When I interviewed with them at first, I thought maybe it would work out because they were doing orthodontic an and everything like that. And they offered a contract, and this is kind of when I really got into learning what entails uh, with negotiations and all that kind of stuff. And just going back on some of the financial things that they talked about, you know, there was no call stipend; it was built into your contract, so you were taking two weeks of call every few weeks, but there was no bonus for that. And the thing that really kind of got me was it was very ambiguous on, you know, which location they're put me at and how the partnership worked. And I don't really know if this falls into pay or anything like that. But partnership is a really interesting thing when you're talking with program or with partners, because never anything that's really clear. You never know if you're going to like them, they don't think like you. So there's never really a distinguished hey, at one year, you're offered partnership if everything works. What I did was I kind of found out from different groups, you know, when's the last time you added a partner? How many associates have you had recently? Because if this is a group that's had five associates in the last 3 years you can tell that something just isn't right and then if they have an associate you can talk to them and say hey you know you've been here for 2 3 years do you feel like they have kind of set you up to work into a partnership role or has it kind of been dragged along and then just seeing if they have anyone who recently became partner i think those are all things that you can look out for that may or may not be red flags as far as if you're you know joining a smaller private practice and it was shocking because i've talked to some associates and they would say to me oh i'm going to leave because it's been 3 years and they haven't really been upfront with how they want to do partnership or, hey, you know, you should give me a call later and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty eye opening as far as asking about that, because I think all the times you're afraid as a resident to ask questions. But this being your job afterwards, I think it's very appropriate to get more information on things like that.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I really like what you're saying about doing some kind of investigatory work, practice, especially for me, like that's such a huge red flag if they've gone through multiple associates and those associates haven't joined the group. And I always went to the extra effort to kind of track down who those people were and, and call them. Why didn't you join? And What happened? The group, you know, if things ended poorly, they're probably not going to want you to talk to those people and i'm sure they both have their biased ways of viewing things so you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt but i mean if you're going to you know really join a group and and want to stay there for a while i would you know try to track those people down and say well, what happened and why didn't you like it cuz they're going to give you the raw
1: details probably about you know bad attitudes and things that that could exist yeah it's funny cuz when i talked with this group in philadelphia i asked them some of those types of questions and the senior partner became pretty aggressive and responded by asking me kind of a bunch of questions that I didn't know the answer to. So he was saying, well, do you even know how much it costs to bring someone on board? Do you know what the average overhead is for an associate? Do you know how to even evaluate a, the worth of a practice appropriately? And it's obviously I had no idea how to do any of those things. And, but just having that type of conversation, I think bringing up those questions will show you a lot about the type of people they are. And getting that type of response was a red flag for me. And I thought if this is how you know, we discuss things at this point. Imagine what it's like when there's, you know, millions of dollars in line of evaluating the practice and what is the buying and all that stuff. So at that point, you know, I didn't move forward with that contract. And it's funny because you mentioned about your spouse and location. And we said, well, if we're not going to move somewhere cold, we're going to move somewhere super warm. And she had a good friend in St. Pete. And there was another job that was there that we talked to. And it was the same thing where we kind of got to the, contract point and some things that I found were helpful. I don't remember the company or the lawyer that I use off the top of my head, but there is someone that I found who will help evaluate physician contracts for you. And what they do is they actually compare it to your specialty in the region. So they'll tell you what the mean salary is, what the mean vacation time is. So they look at your contract and they'll tell you, Hey, this is what averages. So if vacation time is important to you and it's not enough, you can come back to them and tell them, well, this is the average in the state or the region. And I can look that up and put it to you for your uh, podcast notes, but I found that to be helpful for all the contracts that I was evaluating. But for the Florida job, the things that I was negotiating was they only had a guaranteed salary for two or three months, which I thought was kind of scary because you're barely getting to meet the referrals by then. And then we talked about percent of call stipend because they wanted me to take a lot of hospital call, but it wasn't initially that good of a percent. But it got to the point where we were able to agree on everything in the contract. And this was now maybe like September of my chief year. And they said, well, just give us an answer by Christmas so we know if we have to find somebody else. And after I had the contract reviewed and we kind of agreed on everything, I was pretty much mentally set on moving to Florida. And then I said, all right, well, I'm just going to read the contract. This is now in maybe early November, mid-November. And I said, I'm just going to read the contract one more time this weekend, even though I don't really understand what I'm reading. And then we'll sign it and send it in so that way that we can move forward with all the licensure. And I'll never forget it because that was on Monday when I got the contract back. And on Tuesday, I got a call from Brian Farrell and Jim Howe, who's another one of the partners in our group in Greenville, South Carolina. And they said, hey, we know you want to do ortho TMJ path, all this stuff. We're going to be expanding and opening up a new location in Columbia. And we don't have someone who's really doing that scope to move down there. Would you want to be a part of the new location? And obviously, when you get a call from them and you kind of hear this setup, it piques your interest. So I told my wife and she goes, no, we're not moving to Columbia, South Carolina. And that was pretty a matter of the fact. But luckily, she agreed to go down to meet with them that weekend and we saw everything. And long story short, next thing you know, I ended up signing a contract with them probably mid-December. The hard thing though, was I had to call the Florida place. And when I told them, they really just kind of blew up on me. So I think it worked out in the end because some of the stuff that they were kind of saying to me on the phone at that point, I thought, oh, I'm glad these aren't really the people that I was going to be partners with. So it's just interesting kind of meeting all the personalities and navigating through all that as you're trying to figure out where you want to end up.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Good stories too. Thanks for sharing that backstory. And so what happened with your wife? She
1: said, okay, I can do this <laughs> or what? Well, the thing was just Columbia, it just wasn't really somewhere that we ever gave any thought. Honestly, I'd never really, I thought of the country Columbia before the city, but once we came down here, there's a university and it's only about a little over an hour and 15 minutes from Charlotte. So. We travel a bunch and we fly to that airport and we've really enjoyed it since being here. But she knows and I'm really lucky that she supports me and what I do. But the job was just really important to have the scope that I wanted. And they give me the freedom and the support to do all of that here. So we're happy. That's
2: awesome. Yeah, when Matt first, when I first heard Matt was going to Columbia, I initially thought he was joining Columbia University as an academic position. I had no idea that that city existed.
0: Right. And what other advice do you have, Pulak, from your experience looking? I
2: mean, I think, again, like I'm still in residency and a lot of, I guess, one piece of advice I would give would be to lean on the people that have already done it. So for me, it was Matt primarily. And basically everything that Matt's kind of outlined so far in the podcast, I've had multiple discussions with him in the past about it as well. So from that perspective, there isn't much for me to add i think you just got to prioritize what's important to you and the people around you um like matt kind of alluded to scope salary location and then mentorship i think is a nice fourth one to add on and balancing those things is going to be different for different people you know like what might be a good location for someone one might be a terrible location for somebody else so if i tell someone that i'm basically going to be moving to rural pennsylvania near the New York border. And I love the area. It's clean, lots of trees, lots of nature, lots of things to do outside. But that might not be the location for someone that's looking for something like Los Angeles or Florida or a bigger city. So just keep in mind that people's opinions on whether it's salary, whether it's location, whether it's scope is going to be inherently biased from their perspective. So You just got to take everything with a grain of salt, but also lean on the people beside you that have gone through it. So it's kind of this little balance you got to you got to have.
0: Yeah. And that's a great point to talk a lot to those people ahead of you who have done it. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great point. Well, I love that. You know, we've talked to other guests on the podcast about similar stuff, but the way that you're kind of breaking it down, and certainly your experiences are is unique, and I think that that'll be super helpful to our listeners.
1: And for mentorship, you know, one thing that Pulak was kind of bringing up, and one thing that no one ever brought up to me in the traditional things to consider, but some things that you can also ask to figure out if it's the right place for you, especially if you want to do anything in the OR in the hospital, is just seeing like. Do they go to the OR by themselves or what are they doing? Because for us, we do all of our orthognathic and total joint replacements with two surgeons. But a lot of the places I talked to, they said, yeah, you can have an OR day. But, you know, we cut orthognathic cases with two of us in residency. It was kind of daunting for me to think that I was going to be going into doing a double job with a solo provider never having done it. But for our group, one of the big selling points was, you know, Brian will drive down to Columbia and we do orthognathic cases together. I post difficult cases in Charlotte and we do them together. I've been really lucky where some of the partners, John Nail and Dan Cook, who do a lot of TMJ surgery, they've really taught me arthroscopic surgery. So just seeing how the group that you're going to sets up your OR, I know that it's not always doable. And there's a lot of things that you can obviously do on your own, but having that type of safety net, especially as a new grad, you know, we do a lot of orthopaedic and, and major surgery at UNC, but I'd be kidding you if I said that coming right out, I would feel good about doing a total joint at the hospital by myself. So seeing what they do and seeing how willing they are to scrub in with you, I think is a big thing to look out for if you want to do those types of procedures. And I'm lucky that all of the partners in our group are more than willing not only to scrub, but to kind of teach me and walk me through some of the more difficult cases. and for our group, one other thing that I kind of learned about that was kind of a nuance of contracts that I didn't pick up on until the, the one with the group I signed with is how malpractice insurance works. So if you were to sign a contract with somebody and they have a malpractice that is a part of their group, I never really considered how a tail works. So if you were to leave the group that you sign an associate contract with and then have a claim or something like that afterwards, but you were covered under their plan, you may be paying for that tail out of pocket, which can be an absorbent amount of money. So some of the things that you can look out for, which I was lucky that I had a person kind of read into the contract is you can actually ask them to just reimburse you for your own personal malpractice plan initially. And that gives you a little bit of freedom. So that way it doesn't actually cost them any more money because usually your first year out of residency, it's almost nothing for your malpractice, but it sets it up. So that way, if you end up changing jobs for whatever reason, you aren't then responsible for whatever is left behind because you're not a part of their plan anymore.
0: Yeah. To piggyback on that, I would highly recommend that you have your own plan. It gets dicey. I've been in different situations where, you know, like a group said, oh yeah, you can just kind of be part of our plan. And it's just, if something really goes down and happens, the lawyers and you know they're going to represent who's ever paying for the plan and if there's multiple providers it's hard for them to really kind of be loyal to one over another and and i've been through a couple of different situations like that and so i would just always try to get your own plan that way if something goes down you have your own people kind of representing you and, and your sole interest is at stake there a little plug for doing that but I like all these things that you're bringing up that you should be checking on and asking about. Definitely don't be afraid to, I think, discuss all these things, even the finances. And certainly good to have other people review it because that's a big thing. You know, I'm sure Kulak's discussed with you, Matt, like, Hey, here's kind of the deal I'm looking at. And what do you think? And even your attendings, other people get eyes on it, you know, and have people comment and give their thoughts on it.
2: Yeah. And I've heard of from, from I didn't have it happen to me firsthand, but there were some people where they're happy with the practice setup, They're happy with the kind of the track to partner and whatnot. And then the contract gets put forth. And then the person that would potentially have signed that contract says, okay, I'm just going to have some people look at it. I'll have like a contract lawyer that I know, take a look at it. And that becomes a point of contention, the fact that they wanted someone to take a look at it. And I've heard it multiple times where the second that gets brought up, the existing practice kind of gets defensive about it and says that we don't need that to happen. And I think that in itself, if it's not obvious, should be a major red flag moving forward with something like that. Absolutely. I think that when
1: you do the job stuff, you know, being the resident, you feel more junior to these people who are partners in the private practice. And your natural reaction is you're kind of nervous to ask questions and all that stuff. But what I found, especially now, since I'm looking for a partner and our group is always looking for people to join as well. And as I'm interviewing people and kind of meeting residents looking for jobs, I think it's harder for jobs to find good candidates. So don't sell yourself short. You know, it's not that we're the ones who are in need. It's that the good residents are the people who are harder to find. So don't feel like you have to make any big compromise for something that you want or anything like that. Um, really ask all the questions that you want to have answered, investigate all the stuff, because when you sign, they're going to do everything to hold you to their end of the contract. So you have to kind of know the ins and outs of what the rules are if you want to leave, what the radius is as far as your non-competes and all that kind of stuff. But you don't want to expect that to happen. But in a worst case scenario, you just want to understand what you're kind of signing up for.
2: Yeah, and that's a good point, because I realized that a little bit later on, but the interview process for jobs is very much different than the interview process that we've been used to up till this point, you know, whether it's undergrad, dental school, medical school, residency, all of that, it's, you're coming from what you perceive to be a point of weakness or like a a lower point, and you're talking to these people, then they're going to make the decision whether or not they're going to accept you or not. But with the job search, it's a little bit different. You have to kind of change your mindset in that you have worth and they see that worth in you. And that's why they're interviewing you. And you just got to adjust your way of answering questions and your overall demeanor to match that. And I think at the start for myself, I was still in little resident mode being like, okay, yeah, I got to impress them with this. I got to impress them with that, which I'm not usually good at in an interview situation. But I quickly realize that it's a different ball game than when you're applying to residency or applying to professional school,
0: yeah, and I mean, I can understand the perspective of you know someone maybe who's kind of built up their own practice after you know several years and they feel like, hey, this is something that's like my baby, and now I'm kind of trusting someone else to come in here and do stuff, and so I can see some of that, but at the same time. You know, the amount of value and worth that you can bring to a practice, certainly you see it, but they should also see that. And if they're kind of treating you like, hey, I'm the one giving you the worth here and you're kind of nothing, then, you know, you want somebody who's going to see your worth, I think, is the bottom line.
1: It's just a different way of thinking about it because, you know, when you're the person interviewing, you think that you're trying to prove, you know, that you belong there. But at the same time, they're just as much proving that their job is worth you working for. So it's just a different mindset, I think.
0: Totally. Well, good. That's
1: been super helpful. I do want to say one last thing. I don't know if you can work this in. I just remember because she walked in, but you were asking about how we're doing in Colombia. And you know, you've talked about it before in previous podcasts about how many sacrifices your wife has made with your kids and everything like that. And my wife is a Linda, she's a PA. She worked at a job that she loved a lot in North Carolina. And moving to South Carolina, we had no friends and everything like that. We as oral surgery residents or prayer providers as we always talk about the sacrifices that our significant others make but man leaving a job going to a new place where we know nobody and being willing to do all of that just so that way i can kind of do the scope that i want just really lucky and thankful for that and i think we always talk about it briefly in the podcast but it's just kind of understated how much of a sacrifice all of our significant others make
0: 100 percent. yep so true well good if there are listeners that kind of have further questions for you guys. Um, We didn't even get too much onto the topic of, you know, social media and and the education that can be done there. Maybe we could meet up and do another podcast on that one sometime. But are you guys okay if listeners reach out to you?
1: Yeah, for sure. The easiest way for people to contact me would be through Instagram at phamomfs, which is P-H-A-M, which is easier this way because I get so much work spam through my other emails.
2: Yeah, same with me. Instagram is probably the most efficient way to get a hold of me.
0: All right. Sounds good. Do you guys have some time for some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> sure. First question. What is the best book you've read in the past year? Let's start with
1: Matthew. I read this book called Comfort Crisis, and it talks about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it kind of shotgun approaches a bunch of different things like diet, working out, traveling, not for vacation, but just like for kind of growth reasons and stuff. And I found it to be pretty interesting.
2: I haven't really read a book per se or a book I haven't read before in the last year, but I have been rereading. Peterson's. Uh, no, not <laughs> Peterson's. It's a oh, great read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Atlas of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery is the best book I've read in the last year. No, The Art Award by Sun Tzu. I read it when I was younger, and I find that there is a lot in there that, especially as a chief resident, it has a lot to offer than what meets the eye. So, yeah, The Art Award.
0: Love it. Great suggestions. Okay. How about something that you do, or, or what is something you've done as an oral and maxillofacial surgeon? that is non-oral surgery related, that kind of helps you with your daily oral surgery skills.
1: I was a studio art minor in undergrad, and I think just kind of, I do a lot of pen and ink work, and just drawing and all that kind of stuff has obviously helped me a lot in orthognathic surgery, surgery in general. Yep,
2: that's awesome. Yeah, kind of somewhat similar in the sense that I do a lot of photography Not usually portrait photography for more like street photography, nature photography with kind of traveling around the world. And I think from a composition standpoint and just kind of understanding proportions and whatnot, I think that's going to help me as well with regards to kind of planning various cases in our world as well.
0: Very cool. Which forceps do you use to extract tooth number seven?
1: What would you say to that? Whichever, well, if it's number seven by itself, I guess it would probably just be a 150. I don't know, whatever forcep is in my, that's more of a full mouth extraction tooth. So whatever is in my hand at the time.
2: Yeah, I probably, whatever works pretty much. But yeah, I guess 150 would be the initial go-to, but depending on what happens, we might need to adjust PRM.
0: Any difference if it's tooth number eight or no?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, they're totally different. Totally, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: See for me, it's a little different because for for me, I'm definitely going with the Universal for seven, and the Ash for number eight. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, that's what happens when you extract teeth for like ten plus years. Yeah, I think about. It's ridiculous. Okay, next question: favorite movie? What would you say to that one, Matthew?
1: Well, uh, growing up, I was a big fan of the Rocky series. Being from Philadelphia, so probably one of those.
2: Oh, so good for me. I've got like this. Top five that I just can't get enough of. If I had to put something at number one, it'd probably be Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse? Apocalypse Now, yeah. You can see the personality
1: of his Instagram coming through now. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) It's a fantastic movie. If people have not watched Apocalypse Now, you have to watch it. It's an incredible movie by Francis Ford Okay, You have to give us
0: the other four on your list. What are they?
2: American History X godfather part one and two are great movies and i mean i'm just thinking off the top of my head i'll leave it at that for now but yeah
0: okay so you've got kind of a darker side to you i'm seeing this now with some of these uh yeah absolutely recommendations
2: yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) that's awesome okay how about what is your
1: favorite quote character is who you are when no one is looking i don't know who said it but we had that when i was doing high school and sports and kind of always just stuck with me.
0: That's so mm. good. Let me
2: think. I think there's one by Lincoln. And I think if you apply it to residency, it can come across a little bit callous, but it's better to remain silent and be thought of fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. That
1: Instagram personality really shine it through on these rapid fire oh, yeah. questions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I have to say, I love the quotes that you kind of pepper in there through <laughs> Mac's face. <laughs> yeah some of them just so great for residents this too shall pass of course
2: (laughs) gotta have that yeah it's been like an interesting kind of extension of my own personality I think people that know me would say that my real personality is not far off from it but it's definitely an exaggeration but
1: I'm glad I was Puak's senior not his junior
0: (laughs) (laughs) especially when one of the quotes that you have is expect sabotage
2: (laughs) it's real that's that one's that one everybody i think a lot of people can relate to that one but yeah
0: jeez uh, you, i get the feeling from your quotes that like residency is like mean girls or something like what's basically
2: oh yeah basically <laughs> like, every day is an episode of mean girls
0: <laughs> exactly oh my gosh so well, i can relate to some degree for sure we love unc though love it
2: oh yeah absolutely yes <laughs> I mean, I think that goes with any residency program, you know, like, it doesn't matter where it is, there's going to be some aspects of what people will label as drama, but in the end, in the end, great training program, great people, I wouldn't change anything.
0: Yeah. I think anytime you get a group of highly competitive people together and there's hierarchies and stuff, you know, there's going to be some of that yeah quote unquote sabotage type stuff going on it's, it's yeah. unfortunate but it exists yeah yeah so well good i really appreciate you know the information you've given today but also the content you guys are producing through social media and other avenues it's just so awesome to see that and to be able to help other people so thank you for doing that
1: yeah thanks for having It was fun. thank you yeah
2: appreciate
0: it awesome well have a good rest of the day and let's reconnect soon you too man thanks again thank you, thank you again thanks Bye. Bye. thanks for listening to this episode of everyday oral surgery once again please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com if you have any topics you'd like to hear about guests you'd like to hear from or if you yourself would love to be a guest please please email me or text me at 720-441-6059 and also just love hearing from people if you enjoy the podcast or you know learn something from it or talk to a friend or connected with someone because of the podcast that just makes my day so please shoot that correspondence over to me and i will see you on the next episode thank you